Hello and welcome to this edition of the Back Again and Gone podcast, being recorded in the beautiful Embassy Suites, Knoxville, Tennessee. You know, when it comes to travel, this has really been kind of an odd winter. The Midwest has consistently gotten hammered over the last 14 days or so, yet the Southeast has escaped relatively unscathed, which is nice. I mean, I flew into Atlanta this morning and had about a four-hour drive to Knoxville, and it rained for probably three hours and 59 minutes of the trip. But short of that, you know, we really haven't gotten many snow delays. I think I was on one flight. I'm trying to remember where I was coming out of that had to get de-iced. But short of that, you know, not a lot of action. So that's always good news. So in the recent travel news, if you haven't heard, Delta and Coke teamed up for a marketing disaster recently with their I, creepy napkins that they served drinks on. You know, on one side, the napkin that was printed because you're on a plane full of interesting people, and hey, you never know. And then on the other side, there was a spot for you to write your name and seat number. You know, I posted about this on my Instagram page late in January with the caption, hashtag tender at 30,000 feet, do you like me, check yes or no, hashtag old school. I mean, I have no idea how a room full of supposedly educated people could have ever decided that this was a great marketing campaign. You know, recently I came across a website called WorkFrom, which seems to be pretty handy for people that work remotely. You know, we all know that Starbucks and McDonald's offers free Wi-Fi and plenty of power outlets. You know, but you never know. There may be something down the street undiscovered that offers something different to eat. You know, maybe there's uh, some big screen TVs, a little bit more comfortable couches to sit on. You know, work from is free. Of course, there's a pro version. Everybody does has has something. There's always a pitch. For roughly 50 bucks a year, you can get rid of the ads. I'm not one of those people that get really that upset about ads popping up on the screen but hey you may want to give it a try workfrom.com and then to wrap it up this morning when i was flying out of orlando i'm sitting at the gate and i hear my name paged on the overhead and it, instinctively i reach for my back pocket my wallet's still there good deal i was wasn't flying standby i had a seat assignment so i knew they weren't calling me for that and finally i was flying on southwest so there was no chance of a upgrade to first class so I kind of walked over to the gate agent, introduced myself, and was then informed by the gate agent that Southwest wanted to give me a thousand points for being a loyal customer. You know, sweet, that's great customer service. A thousand points certainly isn't going to get me to Hawaii, but it's nice to be appreciated. And then to kind of end the week out, my return flights on Valentine's Day, which is the only remaining day that Southwest still offers free adult beverages. So tonight's focus is the evolution of business travel. You know, it seems like road warriors. Always loves sitting around waxing poetic about the good old days of travel. Even my dad, who's now in his 80s, still loves to talk about his traveling years. In the early 1970s, his company, get this, required all executives to fly first class. I remember asking him, did they actually have to like announce that or put out a memo to fly first class? Good Lord. I think you know the last first class upgrade I got was probably several years ago on Delta. Again, most of my flights were pretty short. So, you know, first-class upgrade doesn't do you a lot except give you a little bit more seat seat width to uh, relax and enjoy with. Now, one of my favorite stories that he tells is what he calls is how I let Southwest Airlines stock my home bar. Picture this. The year 1973, we happen to be living in Dallas, Texas. 
Southwest was relatively new to the airline scene. They had just a handful of planes, and they only flew to three cities, Dallas, Houston, and San Antonio. At the time, Braniff, with their god-awful orange and, and lime green planes, pretty much owned this highly lucrative three-city market. And this was pretty much the focus of the business traveler in the, in the Texas days, was those, those three cities, Dallas, Houston, and San Antonio. So to gain market share, Southwest put together a phenomenal marketing campaign. You could fly Dallas to San Antonio for half price, not bad, or you could fly the same route for full price, and in return, Southwest would reward you with a bottle of Chevis Regal or some other brand of whiskey. What, huh? Businessmen running on expense accounts? This was a no-brainer as these guys hauled bottle after bottle back home. And that's how Southwest Airlines stacked, stocked my dad's home bar. I mean, some of these bottles he probably still actually has in the house. So I did a little bit of internet searching and came up with a few additional Southwest tidbits. This program ran for a very short time, maybe 45, 60 days. But during that time, Southwest Airlines was the largest liquor distributor in the whole state of Texas. And get this, the cost of a 1973 Dallas to San Antonio Southwest Airlines ticket was a whopping $26. <laughs> 46 years later, Delta charges you 35 bucks just to check your bag. I mean, could you imagine in this day and age putting together a marketing promo where you're handing out bottles of booze to people? I mean, just think of all the fodder I'd have for the monthly crazy travel roundup. So on to some of the things that I've experienced. You know, my first business trip was 1998. And at the time, laptops were really few and far between. I think I had a Dell Latitude, probably weighed in at a hefty 14 pounds. God, what were we running? Windows, probably Windows 95 on it. My first trip was Atlanta to Tampa. And at the Atlanta airport, I'll never forget, I actually had to open my laptop and let the security guys, there was one TSA at the time, and actually let the security guys watch it boot up. I mean, if we had to do that now, Nobody, and I mean nobody, would ever make their flight if we had to wait for, you know, people. I don't remember my password, or there's no power. I mean, what a, a, a phenomenal disaster. So that was 1998. You know, in 2000, I was still using a travel agency. You know, it, and it wasn't bad. My profile contained my favorite airlines and hotels, my preferences for beds. It wasn't a bad gig. I'd call up my, my desk phone or my flip phone. There's no smartphones at the time. And let the travel agency know where, when, and the approximate time where I wanted to go. And within an hour or so, a courier would actually deliver an itinerary, a printed itinerary, and tickets to the office. Now, the beauty of this system was that if something on my trip went sideways, all I had to do was pick up the phone and call the travel agency and let them spend their time on the phone with the airlines or the hotel getting everything rescheduled. We were also issued AT&T calling cards in conjunction with these highly technical flip phones, phones that only had monthly minute plans. I mean, back then, you bought a plan for 400 minutes, 500 minutes. You know, they still charged for long distance. So our corporate calling card uh, was a heck of a lot cheaper than our, at the time, it was Pactel cellular plans. So a few years after that, you know, the Internet became more and more prevalent for the business traveler, especially MapQuest was a real game changer. You know, no longer were we going to Sam's or Costco every January to purchase the updated Rand McNally uh, Road Atlas, you know, that had uh, had the latest roads, hopefully. Or I wasn't asking some rando at the gas pump directions, you know, well, what you going to do? And as soon as I heard somebody 
start their directions by saying, well, what you're going to do is I knew I was about to get lost, and I'm talking really lost. You know, and MapQuest wasn't the end-all, the be-all. I mean, you still had to drive and read at the same time. And plus, the directions, I, I like them to, a little bit to a Rubik's Cube. Stop sign, one mile, turn left. Now, did this mean turn left at the stop sign in one mile? Or at the stop sign, then one mile and turn left? Soon after that, GPS units hit the, hit the scene. They were the rage. They weren't cheap. These things were three or four hundred bucks, but it actually talked to you, so no more reading and driving. It also gave you how long the trip would take, or as we called it, the time to beat. But this also was a big game changer. You know, uh, Garmin, Magellan, and TomTom were the marketing leaders. So what did I buy? I bought a Harman Kardon GPS unit. And here's a rundown of basically the sales pitch, right? I think I wanted the best buy at the time. Salesman, uh, you're familiar with Harman Kardon audio equipment? You know, me being the self-proclaimed audiophile, well, of course. Salesman, just imagine the high-quality sound coming out of this unit as you listen to the precise directions. Hook, line, and sinker, man, they had me. Eighteen months later, that unit was obsolete because there was no way to update the onboard maps. And soon after that, GPSs became a shrinking market anyway. I mean, the free app on my phone does a much better job, complete with construction alerts, accident warnings, and speed trap locations. You know, but we'll get to smartphones in a little bit. So after that, the next big evolution for me was internet connectivity, right? Remember those old AOL CDs? I mean, do you, do you even remember CDs, right? They gave you access of a 1,000 hours of dial-up internet during your first 45 days of signing up. And guess what? You needed all 1,000 hours as you watched a picture download pixel by pixel by pixel on your 14.4 baud modem. You know, all of us that traveled all carried 15 to 30-foot phone cables because we never knew where in the world the hotel room was the phone jack. If you were lucky, there'd be an open port on the back of the phone. If not, it was a quick game of hide-and-seek trying to find the jack. Normally, it was located under the bed, and, of course, the desk was roughly on the other side of the room. A few years after that, the hotels actually began pulling Ethernet cable into each room, and we traded those telephone cables for 15- to 30-foot network cables. Soon after that, Wi-Fi hit the hotels, and coverage was spotty. You know, normally there was a charge for you, unless you were a Diamond or a Platinum member of the hotel chain. I can vividly remember requesting rooms close to the antenna so I could have the best connection possible. This was code for give this guy a room close to the elevators, because... The more cable you pulled into a hotel, the more expensive that Wi-Fi got cost for the install. So they put most of the antennas right near the uh, the elevator shafts or the elevators because that was the core of the building with all the wires. So the trade-off that I got was I got to either hear the elevator doors open and close all night long or wa listen to every single guest run, walk, or stumble past my door with my nice little do not disturb sign on it. You know, those days are long gone. You know, now we complain if the Wi-Fi on the plane goes out. Plus, my smartphone easily becomes a hotspot allowing me for connect anywhere than that. More on smartphones in a little bit. So there you have it. There's the first installment on the evolution of business travel. More to come. Check back next week. Thanks for listening and safe travels.